Hey folks, before we get to this episode, I just want to let you know that because it's April, Podchaser is running their annual Reviews for Good event. During the month of April, for every podcast review left on their website, Podchaser is donating 25 cents to the World Central Kitchen's Chefs for Ukraine program, an initiative aimed at providing meals to individuals and families fleeing from the war in Ukraine. As a podcast creator, for every review of my podcast that I respond to, Podchaser will double their donation to 50 cents, and my podcast host Buzzsprout will then match that donation, making every review of Career Crossroads the equivalent of a $1 donation to the Chefs for Ukraine program. I'll be matching all donations up to $250, so I'm trying to spread the word about this initiative to people who can help. The Chefs for Ukraine program has served over 1 million meals to those in need so far, and I'm trying to help them serve many more. So please spend just a few minutes and leave a review for Career Crossroads and all of your other favorite podcasts. A link to leave a review can be found in the description of this episode, so go give that a click and help support a good cause. Now, back to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. You're listening to Career Crossroads, and if you're new here, welcome. And if you're not new, welcome back. I'm Jonathan Colleton, and this is the podcast where I talk to people about all the pivots, changes, and life events that led them to their current career path. Today, with one episode left before the one-year anniversary of Career Crossroads, I'm talking to Nicholas Nyhoff, or Nick as I know him, who is currently working on setting up his second career in the film industry after starting off in the world of business. This is definitely one of the more chummy interviews I've had in a while, as Nick and I are old friends from university, but we do still stay very focused on his career. This interview in particular was really interesting for me because Nick and I had a lot of the same experiences at university, but we took those experiences and headed in different career directions. Before we get to the interview, I want to mention that about nine minutes into our conversation, Nick mentions a project he worked on in 2014, but I was thinking about that and I think he's probably off by a few years and he meant closer to 2010 or 11 when we were both in school at the same time. And I only mention this because he brings up blackberries and how apps weren't really a big thing and i think it makes a lot more sense in the context of 2010 or 11 than it does in 2014 because blackberries and bbm were all the rage back then but uh, that shifted pretty quickly so anyway pointing that out so no one is confused all right let's get to my conversation with nick and then at the end we're going to talk about what we can learn from his story Nick Nyhoff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So we go uh, we go way back, man, to our time at Laurier together. And uh, yeah. I've interviewed a lot of Laurier people on this podcast, but I, bet. I haven't interviewed somebody for a while that I was pretty good friends with for a while at Laurier. It's a lot of people who were kind of around. You know how it was at Laurier. There were a lot of people around you just interacted with daily because of the various things we were involved in, but... We had a good year there where we spent a lot of time together because we were doing a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Orientation Week, uh, Leadership Center, we were pretty involved. And I basically saw you every day. Yeah, pretty much, right? Board for the Students' Union. We Board for the Students' Union, right. We had a lot right, going right, on that year. Yeah. 
brings back memories, eh? <laughs> it does. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot that happened back at school. I totally like blank on because it just it feels like it was so condensed. There's so much happening all at the same time. Right. Right. And yet maybe it for me, it's more sort of present in my regular life because I work with those mm. same type of students now. So I'm often right. talking about my own experiences to them or sharing things I learned that I use kind of in my career day to day. So I think maybe that's it for me. It, it feels like a long time ago, but there's still so much of it that I remember. And I look back quite fondly at that time in my life, as I'm sure you do as well. And we're definitely yeah. going to talk about your time at Laurier, I'm sure. But let's let's go back in time a little farther than that, Nick. And we want to talk about your career path today. So tell me about when you grew up, where you grew up, and what you were like, and sort of the first thing you remember thinking like, oh, maybe I could do that one day. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in London, Ontario. Um, I mean, it's like two and a half hours from Toronto, um, mid-sized city, you know, 330,000 people kind of thing. Um, but I grew up in a really small school uh, for public school. It was like 120 people, like really, really small. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Everyone on my, everyone that I went to school with lived on my street. We're all close friends. Parents were friends, all that kind of stuff. So very tight knit community. Um, high school was a little different, a little bit bigger, expanded, um, much more diverse. Honestly, my public school was very small, very white, very uh, middle income type thing. But high school was a little bit bigger. It gave me a lot more opportunity to like see what was out there. I think when it comes to what I wanted to do, both my parents are lawyers. So the first thing a kid thinks of is, you know, what do my parents do? What do I see them do every single day? And for me, that was law. Um, that disappeared pretty quickly for me. <laughs> um, I think both my parents were like, don't go into law. Uh, they're both family lawyers. And I mean, I think my mom loves it. I don't think my dad does as much, but um, I think both of them were like, don't do it. So that was off the table pretty quickly. Was that, do you think, because they didn't see a specific real interest in it for you? Or was it because they knew it was like a tough job where they're seeing a lot of like, I think in family law, you see sort of the worst days of families' lives often. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, I think that shades a lot of it for them. But at the same time, I, I do think just it's it's a very specific career path. And if you don't have that specific interest, right. it doesn't give you a ton of uh, movability to other careers necessarily. Um, and I mean, I'll kind of get into that a little bit later too. I actually think, you know, I started being really interested in like stories when I was young, um, through reading and, um, movies and, and all that. Um, but I never saw that as like a career path. Um, I actually was interested in acting though, when I was a kid, I mean, when you're a kid, acting is the only thing you really know about. Oh, yeah. It's like what and you see on screen. It's totally possible, right? It's like you and your totally. friends just make up stories yeah. and act them out. And it seems like, yeah, well, I can do this. Sure. Yeah. And well, and, you know, when my parents would work over the summers, they like we had babysitters and we would actually make short films with our uh, babysitters at, over the summer. I, I just looked on my computer. I have uh, all of our home videos on it. And I was able to find some of those old ones. And it's hilarious to watch. There's like 
you know, fake weddings and all of a sudden somebody comes out with a knife and there's like this whole thing. Like we were kids and they're <laughs> like seen too weird. many of the scream movies. Ex- exactly. Exactly. We were definitely watching yeah. horror movies those summers and all that. So Terrible this is influence. with your siblings you're making these This movies? is my siblings and my cousins and people who would live on the street and went to school with us. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I would think and I was interested in, in acting at the time because that's all I really knew. And I even did acting classes and I was in a commercial at one point for uh, the local theater in London. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I don't know. How old yeah. were you back then? I would. I was in grade two at the time, actually. Okay. And, you know, that was fun. But that was very different as well. Yeah. But I don't think I ever really like I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like really for a long time and when i went to univer when i went to high school i was forced to look around you're starting to get to that age where you need to start considering universities and um i got to a point where i took a class in business um very generic business class in high school and i did really well um you know i was like a a plus student in that time and i thought oh you know i'm good at this whatever this business thing is. Uh, and my parents kind of pushed me on that and said, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in business. Like, And I did do some research, try to figure some stuff out, um, looked at all the best business schools in Ontario. Uh, I wanted to stay close to home. So Western, uh, Queens, Laurier, those were kind of my focuses. And after attending some sessions by Laurier, going to the school uh, to visit, I was really locked in. I'm like, Laurier is where I want to go. You know, they have a great business school, but they also have this great student experience. And that's what I really wanted as well. Um, I got drawn into these opportunities that, you know, it's not just the classroom. It's not just like the sessions that you're going there for on a daily basis. It's the community. It's the people and the the learning outside the classroom. Um, So that's what drove me there. Um, But Business was my focus. And yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. I mean, so I had a similar experience with Laurier where the student engagement side of house really, for me, it it was very impactful on my time there, but it was also impactful on my future because everything I'm doing now in a lot of ways is because of all the extracurriculars I was involved in. I I have a degree in history and Canadian studies, but I don't need a degree specifically in those things to do what I do now. For you, though, with business being uh, such a sort of highly praised program at Laurier and being something that opens up a lot of doors, whereas I think my my history Canadian studies degree maybe, uh, maybe less doors at the end. Did you have something that you thought maybe you might want to do with that degree afterwards, like early on, or did that develop over your time through university? So for me, I think I was really there and I, and I loved that the way that the Laurier business program is focused where it just lets you take courses in everything. In fact, it forces you to take courses in everything, whether it's accounting, marketing, HR, operations, whatever, um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So me not knowing allowed me to explore all these opportunities and find out what, you know, I was good at, what I was interested in and what I was really not good at. And, and I mean, I was not good at accounting. So that one comes <laughs> off the table right away. Um, and I don't think I knew exactly what I wanted to do off the bat, but it's funny looking back because in your, in your first year at Laurier, there's like a, 
a major project where you create a, a product and you pitch this product, do all the marketing plan for it and how you finance it. And I was really interested in like TV product at the time. Like I really had this, um, you know, this device that would change channels automatically. It, it eventually is really like an app for a phone. But back then, in, you know, 2014, you were using a BlackBerry. Apps didn't really exist. It was it was just not the same way it is today. Um, but it it's funny how later in my life, and we'll talk about this, I ended up working on an app for a TV company that literally did the exact same thing that I was pitching no back in my first year. Um, it is very strange parallels. So yeah. So apparently I had some interest in TV back then, and I was using my like business degree to like tap into that still. Um, but I really started gravitating towards marketing and those are the courses that I ended up focusing on. That was my like focus of the degree. Um, yeah. So I ended up getting business with a marketing focus. Okay. So yeah, there's clearly um, beyond, beyond that first year, they really let you sort of branch out and take specific things that you have an interest in. And I imagine with marketing, that's probably the type of program where there's a lot of like hands-on case study type of work where you're looking at actual marketing strategies that have been carried out before and looking at the positives and the negatives of, of them and things like that. Yeah, exactly. We're really, you're giving case studies, you're working with actual businesses that are operating in the Waterloo area and you're helping give them ideas, um, outreach opportunities. Um, you know, you create your own products um, with your groups and you figure out ways that you would market that and get it into the industry. Um, the marketing team or the marketing professors at Laurier are really, really strong. Um, in fact, actually one of them was, uh, my uncle at the time. Actually, no I didn't have, I didn't have him personally. Um, most of my classmates did. I almost wish that I had him though. Um, apparently it was a fun class, but I feel like there'd be a conflict of interest as well. So yeah, that might be a little odd too. When, uh, <laughs> like, when you, like, when you, you know, raise your hand and he calls on you and you're like, Uncle Dave, um, yeah, can you explain exactly. to me how this works? It might yeah. be a little strange for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you're developing this interest in marketing. And yeah. one of the things you, you sort of mentioned early on was that it's that program really helped you realize the things you liked and the things you did not like and accounting being yeah. one of those things that you like. Did you find that once early on you were able to sort of cut out some of those things uh, from an area of interest. You were able to say like accounting is not the thing. The things that you were interested in marketing and, and anything else, did that really stay consistent throughout your time at university or did that shift as well as you took courses in your upper years? Um, I think it really, it, it stayed pretty consistent. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I still like to take a breadth of courses um, and I didn't want to like shoehorn myself in any one direction necessarily. So I still took a bunch of marketing classes in order to get that focus. But I, I still found myself interested in operations, um, which is really about logistics and understanding the flow and scheduling systems and um, even hiring and recruitment. I thought there were some interesting pieces in there and sort of understanding human psychology of, of how you join a company and how you can keep people happy. And I found that there was just pieces from each course that I really enjoyed. Um, but then as a whole, marketing was just kind of the focus for me. Yeah, 
I feel like we didn't get a, a great taste of marketing until third year, really. So it was still sort of like this idea in first and second year. And third right. year is where I kind of um, went in on that one. But even okay. then, I wasn't involved in marketing outside of the classroom at all. Like there's there's marketing clubs and right, teams right, right. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, I didn't participate in those. I was still more interested in the student affairs stuff as well as students union work. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's great. That's something I wanted to ask about too because the academic side is really just one component of the university experience. And for some people, it's yeah. the primary component that influences them. But I know that wasn't the case for you. So tell me how you first started to get involved in the student affairs side of university and what was that progression like for you all throughout university? So <laughs> it goes back to like before I even started at Laurier, actually, um, in the summer leading up to it, um, there might, there's a little thing that you might remember called leap. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. Cause that was oh, part you? of, oh, well, yeah? I was part of every summer for me and I ran it the year yeah. before you came, I think, or maybe the year prior I, to that. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, I went to leap first and that was like the introduction to leadership and everything on campus. And I mean, I think that one influenced me more than anything. Um, because coming into Lori on the first day, I knew the campus, I knew the people all of a sudden I had new people in every single residence building and I knew the opportunities that would be available to me as well as like a student leader on campus. So that was like a starting point. I ended up doing residence life for my first year. Uh, I was the president of my residence at the time, putting out a bunch of different events. Um, and we were at King's Court residence, which was like, like the biggest one, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was fun. But it's like a tower instead of a, a community. So it's one of those harder ones to get people to come out to events. But it was a lot of fun. Um, we put on a lot of stuff that I'm very happy and proud of. But then, you know, second year comes along and you got to think about, you know, residence life isn't necessarily an opportunity for second years. So you got to figure out what's next for you. And I thought about doing res life, you know, similar to what you and others have done, but it really wasn't for me. I wanted to go off campus and, and do some other stuff. So I think I, I can't remember exactly how I got introduced to like the board of directors. Um, but that became a huge interest to me. And I had uh, people in my building who helped um, with the marketing campaign behind that. It was amazing. Um, ultimately, you know, I became the vice chair of the board of directors and I think I went into that not really understanding what the role was as <laughs> most people do. Yeah. Um, but it was a good experience to have. And I think one year was enough for me. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do the governing piece. I really wanted to do like events. So I was glad that I also got to be part of this, the leadership center on campus, um, which is what you were a part of. And I feel like you might've introduced that to me. Honestly, I don't really remember specifically how I got introduced to that, but I think it was through you. I, I knew that you had, I met you through Leap and I knew that you had worked there and we had done some stuff through that. So that was my introduction to Drew Patico. And that was, uh, I love my time at the Leadership Center. Yeah, no, me too. It was, uh, that was one of the, the best parts of my student experience at Laurier for sure. And I didn't realize this at the time. But when I asked you to send me some sort of prep notes in your career path before we 
recorded this today, mm-hmm. you worked there in the summers, and I didn't know that because I worked there one summer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was mm-hmm. a total surprise to me because it, it wasn't a consistent thing that they would hire people. It was if they needed no. somebody <laughs> any given summer. I was only working there for half the summer one year. But how did that happen? How did you end up getting hired to work in the Student Leadership Center? And what kind of stuff did you do in that job? Honestly, nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> I Like, really, I think it was, you know, I was looking for work and Drew knew that. And um, they had, I think they had just lost uh, the coordinator for the center at the time. Um, I actually don't remember who it was before that because it was before I actually, I'm not sure who it was at that time. It was, they had, um, she went on maternity leave. Um, I can't oh, yes. remember. Caitlin. Caitlin Bell, I think. Yes, that's yeah. right. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yes. Because I barely got to work with Caitlin. And uh, so I came in because they didn't have anybody. And so Drew wanted to, um, you know, he needed help over the summer. Uh, she was like, Nick, are you interested? We're going to need some help over the summer. And I was like excited about that. It'd be great to do some more leadership center work over the summer. And it really involved setting up programming for the fall and starting to build what he wanted to be this like keystone program. So it begun kind of in that summer. And uh, in that summer, I believe that first summer is when uh, Bailey was also hired um, to be the coordinator. So yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of training prep and you know building booklets and they wanted they wanted more year over year consistency within the right. center because it felt every time a new group of uh, leadership ambassadors came in it was retraining everybody it was you know you wouldn't have the same leadership classes from the first year to the second year to the third year to the fourth year and they wanted a little bit more consistency a little bit more um, uh, yeah, less brain drainage I guess as well. Yeah, 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 just to help make the workflow a little easier the next year. Things would be sort of yeah. set up to set set yeah. the center up for success basically. Yeah, yeah. building a fa- building a foundation of leadership that they can then build upon each and every year. Yeah, okay. Um, great. So so that was like my summer job basically, which was a great job to have, honestly. Mm-hmm. Great space to work out of and How many summers did you do that? I think I did that two summers. Okay. Yeah. And, and each summer was slightly different, you know. You're kind of the assistant to the center. So you take on whatever tasks they need at the time. There was a golf tournament that I was responsible for helping out with and like the Fred Nichols golf tournament, um, to, you know, taking photos, doing marketing for that as well. So you take on various student affairs tasks throughout the summer. Mm-hmm. Now, how much did that influence what you thought you might want to do in the future? Because for me, that type of stuff really changed the course of what I thought I would end up doing. But for you, you had that marketing business stuff and you didn't have anything specific that you thought you might want to do with that although obviously you were getting a good education so that's why I ask like you've got this one thing that has very specific components to it and there is very clear career paths within student affairs but then business is very very broad once you graduate so did they compete with one another did they complement one another I think that I I saw the student affairs side as being very interesting. I, I got very close to a lot of people in student affairs and that was what they were doing. That was their life. They had career goals in student affairs. And I started seeing that as an actual career path. Um, and 
I think that was one of the first times I really saw a career path possibility. And, you know, I was at the starting stages of that already helping out, already working. Okay, maybe I could get a coordinator job when I graduate, um, spend a couple of years, move myself to manager of the student leadership center or, you know, something like that. Uh, I really did see that as a possible career path for myself. Um, and Honestly, I didn't see myself as a business person as much as a lot of my classmates were. Like people really wanted to go work for KPMG or they wanted to work for Procter and Gamble. Um, and I had no interest in doing the marketing for Dawn Dish Soap, to be honest. I, I there's a lot of people who really love that stuff and are really like throughout my classes were extremely passionate and really wanted to go work for Kellogg's. Um, but I just I have no interest in marketing cereal. I, I just, I can't do that for myself. Um, for me, it was really like the community that I, I built in the student leadership center that got me interested in a possible career there. So yeah, that's, that's where I started going towards. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So as you get towards the latter part of the university, there's always decisions that have to be made. And I think a tipping point for a lot of people is that last Christmas break before <laughs> you uh, graduate where people start asking like, oh, only one term yeah. left. What are you going to do when you graduate? And I think there are there are sort of two things I'm curious about regarding that. So one is, what did you think in general that you wanted to do when you graduated? And, and it sounds like student affairs was maybe an option. But two, there is the literal, like, you finish classes. What are you doing the next day? Do you go back to an old summer job or are you already looking for a career job? Are you taking time off? So what are the answers to those two questions for you? So, yeah, I did definitely get those questions around that Christmas before you graduate. Um, and I didn't really have an answer. I, you know, I said I was looking to a bunch of companies, looking at marketing opportunities at them. I had started applying to these graduate programs that existed outside of um, Laurier. So um, one I was really interested in actually was Labatt or one of those beer companies. I can't remember which one they had like some graduate program where it's very similar to what I ended up doing, but you rotate through these jobs within the brewery company and you end up in sort of an executive management role right, later right. on. Um, and I had applied to that, very excited. But there was a ton of other opportunities that were very similar. And I kept finding that um, companies were leaning towards this almost training mode for when you graduate school, you're not just in a job right away. You're in a role that sets you up for managerial success afterwards. So I kept getting interested in that. Still on the marketing side, you know, I had spent all this time <laughs> and money trying to get a marketing degree. Uh, might as well try and get some use out of that. Um, but I, I really wasn't successful in doing so. I mean, I didn't have summer co-op internship experience. I really didn't have a ton of marketing experience really. So I wasn't successful in that. But one thing that started showing, uh, showing up on my radar was domestic recruiting for Laurier. And so this actually tied in with all my student affairs work. Um, so I was put in contact with somebody who had previously done it as well as somebody who had done it just that year before. Um, and they explained how it all worked going around. You basically travel around Ontario, talking to high school students about your Laurier experience, 
trying to convince them that Lurie is the best school to go to, which it is. And I thought that was a real opportunity because it's it's a short, finite amount of time, and you really get to tap into your entire university experience. It's an opportunity to see the province and really explore your time at Laurie. It's a lot of introspection, really. Um, so I was really excited for that, and I took it on. I was luckily hired. And so when I actually graduated, I knew that I had this job set up. It didn't start for two months after I graduated. So I had a little bit of breathing space. I moved back home to London and uh, was able to sort of take a breath from the university experience. Um, And then I went back and you do like a month of training of how to pitch. Like, what's your pitch? What's your story? Uh, Before you travel across Ontario, selling it to everybody. And that was a really cool experience. Um, I met thousands of students from across the province who all wanted to do very different things. And a lot of people didn't know what they wanted to do. And I mean, I was able to put myself in those shoes and tell them that it's okay to not know what you want to do when you go into university for the first time. And I think that a lot of people just find their way throughout university uh, and maybe not even through the program that they end up taking. Um, and that's very similar to what I was doing. I, you know, I had gone into business with this idea of, I don't know what I'm doing, but I found something else and was still trying to find out what I was trying to do. So it was this weird thing of selling this idea of finding yourself and still not necessarily knowing what you wanted to do. Um, so I think that like introspection while I was on the road, made me think back on my own childhood, life, everything, and and figuring out what's after this. What's after this finite amount of time? And for me, I started really honing in on those, those home videos that we used to make, those acting experiences that I had, and realizing that I really didn't like the acting side of it. What I liked was the storytelling side of it. What I liked was being involved in filmmaking and storytelling. So I started looking into... Uh, while I was on the road, <laughs> you know, in all these hotels, I'd have all this free time, start looking into opportunities in Canada. And I started getting in contact with folks uh, trying to find out, you know, how could I get onto a set? How could I experience filmmaking? And I found some opportunities, but one presented itself to me pretty early on. And that was through the um, Bell Leadership Program. So Bell Canada, Bell Media, um, biggest telecom and media corporation in Canada, they have a graduate program where you rotate through various roles. And I applied to that because I thought, okay, great. If I can go into Bell Media, like the world's your oyster. There's so many different opportunities at Bell Media. I mean, it's kind of similar to my approach to university. It's like there's so many opportunities. You don't have to pick a single specific one. You kind of get to taste a bunch of things and find what you like. So again, I didn't have to focus. <laughs> um, and I was lucky I got in, you know, I got introduced to the program through uh, my stepmother at the time. Um, she all, she also worked at Bell. So she had sort of uh, told me that this program existed. She had worked with graduate students before. So that's how I first found out about it. You know, it was a bit of a delay between when I finished the recruiting to when I started at Bell. So there was like a, another four month gap or something, which yeah. kind of sucks because what do you do with that time when you know you only have a couple of months? You know, do you yeah, take yeah. on like a part time job? Do you try and make the most of that time because you you'll never have free time again as a working person? Or... 
<laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You so know, I I did the latter. I just like kind of hung out and uh, tried to get a hold of myself after like all this time and um, spend time with family. Really, you know, it's funny. I didn't sort of plan it this way, but you're actually the third person I've talked to who was a recruiter for Laurier. Um, and wow. Was wow. it Carissa that got you interested in that? No, so she she was in the same. She started the same year that I did. Oh, okay, uh, so it was Scott Perez. Um, oh yeah, who, I know him. Yeah. yeah, he had started a year ahead of me, and he was the one that I had spoken to. I knew him through uh, residence life. Um, he had been involved in residence life, and uh, I knew him through that. Well, there you go. Right. So those connections you made at university ended up impacting yeah. jobs that you got. And and if you think back on that. Because you were in that recruiter job and you were on the road and had so much time alone in hotels, that gave you all the time you needed to look up all of these other possibilities and really reflect on everything yeah. that you really might want in your future. Absolutely. It, it, it is. Yeah. You always wonder, you know, would you have had the notion to think about that stuff yeah. uh, had you not been doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Bell Canada, I'm sure that's <laughs> one of those things where everybody around you who is... And I, I'm always curious about this, like where family, not pressures, but like your family cares about what's going to happen to you and they care about where you're going to go. And so I usually want to know from people like, was there ever family pressure to do one thing or or another thing? Um, but I imagine with Bell Canada, as soon as you got in there, that's a pretty exciting thing for your family because that means you're going to be okay because you're in yeah. there with this giant telecom company, you have the yeah. education and it's also interesting for you. So it seems like a pretty good fit, right? Yeah. I mean, my parents were very happy and very excited about it. It's a uh... It's a great career opportunity, and the graduate leadership program is really, really strong, to be honest. Um, they were all very happy that I got that because it's a secure future, really. Um, I was the first one in my family to move to Toronto. Everybody else was you know, still in London. That's where my parents are from, and my sister was still at school. Uh, my brother had gone to Guelph University at the time. So I moved to Toronto all on my own. Had never had any interest in going to like a big city at all. I, I thought, you know, I'm going to live in London or something like that. And now I can never go back. <laughs> um, so Toronto is great. And I think my parents were just excited that I was getting out and doing something and being accomplishing of that. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, you mentioned that's one of those programs where you sort of rotate through different roles to figure out what, what area of interest you have. So... What were the different positions that you had in that program? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting the way that they do it over there. So you actually start in a call center for your first three months. Um, you do training, you understand how the call system works, and you're taking customer complaint phone calls for the first three months of your time there. And the idea here is they want you to understand how the first line or the frontline workers work and how that experience is because... Uh, you spend that three months not only just doing the phone calls, but you're doing a project on how to make that experience more efficient and better for customers. That's the idea behind it. You're using your business degrees or whatever degree you came in with to build a business plan that'll improve or make the business more efficient. So that's like the first three months. And then you do one month in retail. So I actually worked at the Eaton Center Bell Store, and your job there is to just watch and understand how the retail experience works and 
you're again trying to make recommendations on how to improve the retail experience, how to make it better for customers. Um, so they spread people out during that one month period. And during that time, you're applying to your first real landing job, which is, um, you know, you do, I think you do two or three of them, depending on what you want to do. And these are called rotational roles. So there's a posting they, they basically reach out to the entire company and are like, hey, if you want to have a grad on your team, this is how to do it. Post the role. They'll all apply. You do a ranking system. It's very much like a co-op system. So we get the list. I look through it. I'm really excited about getting my first Bell Media opportunities. And on the list, there are no Bell Media opportunities <laughs> available. Um, all of them are, you know, Bell Mobile or Bell Canada TV or, you know, uh, <laughs> loyalty and retention stuff. It's all like kind of boring uh, for yeah, me not, when I was not really excited. You wanted. It's, yeah. it's not what I was interested in. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I started meeting with all these managers and trying to figure out, OK, how do I how do I make the most out of this first experience, at least? And everyone really said the best thing you can learn as somebody in business these days is analytics, um, really understanding how to use and manipulate and understand data. So I found one of the jobs was in loyalty and retention analytics. And I was like, sure, let's try that. <laughs> I really liked the people who were on that team. And that's what I was more drawn to than anything. So that was a really great role for me. It was hard and really strange because, you know, I, I don't always agree with some of the corporate approaches to things, uh, especially loyalty and retention. Like, th like that's just people who are pissed off and want to leave the company and you're trying to figure out how to keep them and how to right. keep their money. But I was responsible for just the analytics and understanding, you know, if we do this, what happens? How many people leave? How many people stay? So that was kind of interesting because you're using data sets of like millions of customers and years worth of data and uh, churn information. So, but I think through that, I really connected with um, two of my colleagues, uh, Rehan and Io. And these two guys were like very experienced in analytics. And at the same time, they had this very good approach to the business where it was like, you know, it's just another job, <laughs> get it through and focus yep. on like the career thing. And, you know, what do you want? And they did, they, they really did push that on me. Like, what do you want? And I kept pushing this thing. I do want to work in media. I want to make content. And so they kept that focus for me and they kept that like top of mind. Um, so throughout that rotation, I didn't want to come to the next rotation list and have no media positions show up again. That was my worst fear. Um, right. So what I did was I decided to be proactive this time and I started outreach to people at Bell Media trying to find a spot, a role, a position that could be a grad spot. Um, and I started outreach. I, I ended up contacting um, uh, he was responsible for at the time Crave TV, which is what it was called at the time, yeah. uh, Jonah, Jonah Zalkin. And he was like the one employee responsible for Crave TV at the yeah, time. It was I, like it was it was just beginning. It had only been yeah, out for like yeah, a year yeah. or something. Uh, and he was buying all the content, organizing it, programming it. Um, and for anybody not from Canada listening, that is like Netflix for Bell Programming Canada. It's it's an yeah. on-demand streaming service. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, we you know they had the competitor Show Me, which was from uh, uh, Rogers and Shaw had partnered oh, up to create. I don't Show even Me. remember I don't that one. Yeah, they they died while I was at Bell Media, but uh, <laughs> so I ended up contacting Jonas Alkin. He was interested, but um, he still didn't know like how I could fit into the team necessarily because. I mean, I didn't have any programming experience. <laughs> I didn't really have any media experience. So I pitched it more as like, all right, I have all these analytics now from this job that I'm currently in. Can we use that to drive your programming in some way, like understanding audiences? And so we ended up finding he he was very I'm so glad that he was able to work with me on this because he actually worked with another department who was responsible for some of the analytics and they together combined to make a role for me. So it was kind of a split role where I was, I had two managers. <laughs> One was under Crave TV and the other was under like the analytics for the whole business. Mm-hmm. So I got a little taste of both. And they gave me a little bit of free reign in that role, which is really exciting. They kind of let me make it what I wanted it to be. And they had, you know, recurring reporting that I would put together on. You know, who's watching Letterkenny this week? What's the the numbers uh, on a week to week basis of South Park, for example? Um, you know, what other programming can we push to these people um, so that they continue to watch content for the channel? And that was really exciting stuff. But I had some free time as well. It wasn't like a crazy packed schedule to do analytics. Um, their analytics were pretty rudimentary at the time. They're much better now, but. I was able to meet some of the folks over in the development team. And that was where I started really realizing that's where my interest was. So I met with Tom Hastings, who was at the time the drama original programming exec. Uh, he or programming manager. <laughs> Titles really aren't specific yeah. anymore. Sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, so... I met with Tom Hastings and he was responsible for like all of the drama programming for Bell Media. And it was eye-opening for me because I got to see how the sausage gets made, uh, how these shows come to fruition on TV. And at the time, he was in the midst of developing a show called Cardinal, which is based on a book series. And it was a crime thriller um, based in like Northern Ontario. Really, really great show. Um, They end up doing three seasons of it. But I got to see a little bit of that from the script stage through to like dailies. And I got to actually see the final episodes before they were ever aired. And it was amazing to me just that there are roles out there that help shape what type of programming goes Uh, and gets made where the funding goes and you get to choose the writers and you get to work with the directors. And I got really attached to that experience and I found my interest in developing stories. Um, So I realized that's where I wanted to work. (laughs) I'm like, all right, that's, that's like the dream at that time. I was like, okay, I want to do that. Um, That being said, it's a really small team. There's one person per genre at Bell, really. And they all feed into a singular role that oversees all them. And that's all changed now. Like um, they had a huge uh, layoff the last year. And I actually don't know what that team looks like right now because most of the people that I know were let go. 
So it might be totally different now, but at the time it was very tight, very small, and there weren't like assistant opportunities that would then grow into uh, manager positions. It's it's just static for a lot. Yeah. So um, like you could see what you wanted, but you knew there was basically no way to get that exact spot to get yeah, in, that, to- in that area. Totally, totally. And at the same time, you know, like how do you gain the experience right. to do that if there aren't the roles uh, that lead yeah. into it necessarily? So um, well, that actually that begs the question then that the people who are in those jobs who you were sort of working with or around, like did you did you have conversations with them about their career path and about how they yeah. got to where they are? Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, I mean, some of them are so roundabout and crazy. Like the person who was actually the head of all of these drama or, you know, um, genre execs, uh, Corey Co. she was a lawyer or entertainment lawyer for the company at the time. And she had been involved in these conversations around, you know, what we can do legally, programming wise and things to consider. And through her like law side of things, she got brought into the producing side of it no and kidding. ended up moving into the drama exec side, like such a, a change from her initial law school side of things to being this content exec. Um, I shouldn't be surprised by that because that's like literally the whole reason why this podcast exists is because people have stories like that. So uh, I'm glad to hear that there are people thriving probably a little yeah. farther in their career path who have gone through those same routes. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think Tom Hastings had explained to me that he got into it originally by helping with these like nature documentaries when he was in his uh, like graduate program or something. He, a friend of his had been involved in some film stuff and needed uh, like extra eyes on it. And he slowly just got involved in it through that side of things with no intention. I think he was doing history to be honest. Um, don't quote me on that. I don't well, know. Hey, there's, there's <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. Still hope for me then, I guess. Yeah, there yeah. you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I had no idea how to get into those roles specifically. I just knew that I needed to, you know, start somewhere and start like making things. And I was hoping that I was still going to be able to land. So this is my second rotation. Usually you can land into a, like a, a full-time role and stop rotating after that, or you can do a third one. And I, I was hoping to land somewhere in Bell Media, but the only opportunities that came to me after all my discussions with different departments would be basically a step down from where I currently was. Um, I would have to take like a, a salary cut and responsibility cut. And it just was in a department that wasn't interesting to me. So I ended up uh, doing one more rotation over at the Bell Canada side of things on the TV side. So I was a product manager for the TV app, which is the five TV app. The greatest TV app alive. If you don't already have, if you have Bell Media, or sorry, if you have Bell TV, uh, Five TV, get the app. It's like the best thing in the world. Oh, okay. Um, At first, I wasn't sure if you were being sarcastic there, but no, no, no. Okay, it, good. I, it actually is. It really is. I'm like really proud of that app. It's uh, it's it's amazing. Um, I it's probably uh, the. <laughs> I sorry I just I me and Bell are not on good terms right now I had to cancel no, I, their internet because it's uh <laughs> it, their five their five internet was was not working for me so I uh yeah that I'm just getting like triggered by hearing five right now no I, I get that honestly there was one time I got a, a cab ride to work because I was like super late I slept in or something and as we were pulling into the building he was like you work for Bell 
Oh my God, let me tell you. And he <laughs> went, I went off about his last situation with now Bell. Now you're and the complaint line. Honestly, and that is one of the things about working for Bell. Even if you're in a great role where you're, you know, I was responsible for building this great customer experience. I'm like, I want to build the best product. I have nothing to do with money. I have of nothing course. to do with anything. But you're still like the focus of people's anger towards the company. Because yeah. everybody has an experience. Everybody yes. has a bad experience. So Yeah. And uh, frankly, like even if everything's fine 99% of the time, when it's inconvenient once and things don't work properly, absolutely. people are going to be angry about it. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right so anyway so, you have your last rotation bell tv yeah apps. yeah so i had this bell tv app uh, role and i had um this great manager kim tack who showed me the ropes and and sort of gave me some amazing responsibilities on the team i got to help launch uh you know uh or work on download and go for the app so you can download content um i got to work on integrating siri so that you can like search for content in the app through siri there's just some really cool things that i got to do um i guess they were like more more sexy right they're like these interesting product opportunities and i got to see how fast things could come to market um you get to see your work in real time go from like ideation and it's all of a sudden in the hands of customers Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was still looking for roles in media and hoping that something would come up on the media side. And, um, you know, one did and I interviewed for it and I didn't get it. And that was pretty disappointing. Um, And I got to the end of this rotation and I still didn't know what I was going to (laughs) do. But I ended up getting offered a job, like a full time one in the product team it was on the adjacent TV team. So there's the app team and then there's the actual TV set.box team. So they're responsible for building the experience when you have your TV remote and what that looks like on the screen. And they were developing a whole new platform and they wanted me to be part of that team. Um, the vice president of, of uh, product at Bell, uh, Sean Olmstead, uh, he was a huge mentor for me at the company and he still is. Um, he really focused what I was interested in and helped me in my career path at Bell. Like he was a huge influence for me and and still is. And I think I really wanted to continue working with him. And so being under the product team was of the most interest to me over at Bell. And I had some great experiences. I ended up staying staying in that product uh, role for like two years, really. Um, And during that time, we did some really great work. I got to work with Google and Amazon and I got to fly down to uh, California to meet with them. And there was just some really cool stuff we got to put together. And there was a really cool vision for what TV could look like in the future. So that's still in development. They're still doing a whole lot over there. But yeah, it's uh, I had some good experiences. Okay. So after your time as the product manager, or I guess what, what really was the thing that prompted you to leave that role as product manager and look at something else? I mean, I know you wanted to be more on the media side of things, but it seems like up until now, those things hadn't really been an option. They're just, the roles hadn't popped up at the right time for you. So what was the catalyst then for leaving? Yeah. So I knew when I was in that role that I would have to go somewhere else. Like that entire time, I had my eyes elsewhere and I really enjoy I really did enjoy my time in that role and the team that I was working with was amazing 
but I knew that I wouldn't be there long term. So while I was doing that, I actually on weekends, I was part of this group in Toronto that I found through like meetup.com. Um, I found a group of people who would make short films every Sunday. And so we'd meet up <laughs> on Sundays for about four hours and we'd shoot a short film during that time. It was pretty eye-opening to me to just make something so quick. And at the end of like 14 weeks, we put on a screening of all of the films that we had just made and everyone who had been part of it. Cause you'd have people come for one week or two weeks or a couple weeks or the whole time. And so we had a huge group of people who would come out to watch all of the shorts that had been made. And it was so impressive to see the quality change from the first week through to like the last week. And so that was just something that I was doing on weekends and I starting. I, so I still kept this interest in media, still trip kind of building more experience and I started becoming interested in in the screenwriting process as well. So I actually started taking uh, screenwriting courses at the University of Toronto uh, during nights. So on Thursdays, I would start taking those courses and I met an amazing writer and collaborator of mine, uh, Gio Bradley, uh, who has who has since now gone to UCLA. She's currently in California at the moment. Um, she's I think the best writer that I know uh, and we got along really, really well. So I started building this community of people who are interested in the same things that I was interested in. And then on a daily basis, I'd go back to this nine to five where I'd build the next TV generation um, or the next generation of TV. And so I kept my eyes elsewhere, but still kept doing this, this daily job. And I kept looking a little bit towards how do I make that next jump? How do I make that next step? And I started looking at film schools, but I really didn't want to go back to school, to be honest. I, When I went to school and when I left school at Laurier, I did not see myself going back at all. I had no interest in it. In fact, like I was not I didn't really care about my grades because I was like, oh, I'm not going to need that. I'm not going to go back to grad school. I have no interest in an MBA or whatever. Um, you know, in hindsight, look, take care of your grades because you never know. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but it was always this idea, maybe film school, maybe film school, probably not. Uh, and then in 2018, um, you know, I was having a shower and I found a small lump on one of my testicles. Um, so I had been checking myself for the last, I don't know, five years because when my brother was 15, he had testicular cancer and went through chemotherapy. And, um, it was a, it was a long like year or so that he dealt with going through that and radiation and all that. Um, so from that, it kind of brought this knowledge about how testicular cancer works. And so I had always been checking myself just in case. And the moment I felt a little lump on one of my testicles, I knew what it was right away. And as a result, I went straight. I, like I, I went to work late that morning. I went straight to the clinic and said, I think, you know, there's something on my testicle. It might be cancer. And they were hesitant because they barely noticed it. Um, the uh, nurse who checked it, basically was like, I don't feel anything. And I was like, well, I'm going to need an ultrasound, please, because this is this is actually real. And so I got another one scheduled for the next day, and I got the results back a week later, and they're like, well, it actually might be 
testicular cancer or, or something. We just don't know yet. And I was like, it is, <laughs> but I'm, I was also at the same time, I hadn't told anybody. I hadn't told my partner who I was living with at the time. And I wanted to wait until I had the ultrasound results as to like, oh, it could be something. So I, I did tell her at that point and, you know, she got a little concerned, um, but we would wait until we actually had results, results. Uh, I told my mom because she should know. And um, yeah. And then it was really, it was a couple of weeks. It was like two weeks before I really got put in touch with an oncologist uh, who would do a, a check on that. And this whole time I'm like worried, but I'm not telling anybody I'm still going to work. I'm still treating everything normally. And I went to the oncologist, they checked it. And within two seconds, they're like, yep, that's testicular cancer. <laughs> so we're going to need to get that out right away. So that kind of, that kind of kicked things into motion for me. Like it confirmed all these fears. And I think up until that moment, um, there was some denial about maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, but it really does put your life into perspective. And I took some time off work at that point to deal with it. Um, luckily because I'd been checking so consistently due to my brother, it was very small at the time. I caught it super, super early and all I needed was, you know, a surgery, um, or it's called an orectomy. And basically I didn't have to do any chemotherapy or radiation or additional treatments. Um, the surgery was enough to remove uh, the cancer from me. And then I've been in, you know, surveillance ever since I actually just did blood tests the other week, still all clear, which is exciting. It's now three years later. So that's exciting. I think after five years, it's like your cancer levels, you're no more likely to get cancer than anybody else in the world. So gotcha, uh, gotcha. two years away. But yeah, so for me, that was a moment of clarity for myself in a lot of ways in my own mortality. And it, it kind of, sorry, you might have heard some cars. <laughs> hey, that's the reality of recording. I'm in we're New York gonna, City. We're just going to push through, keep going. <laughs> Um, so for me, that was really like a moment of mortality for me and, and thinking back on what I really wanted. And I was like, I was doing all these things on the side, but I wasn't focusing on the career stuff. And, you know, my partner, Olivia, really in that moment was like, we got to consider film school. If you think that's going to be the way through. And, um, you know, we sat down at a cafe one Saturday and she was like, let's just go through it. Let's put out all the information. What do we need to do? What do you need to apply to? So she really pushed me through that and was so supportive in my application process. We pointed at all the different schools that were opportunities for me, what I was really interested in. And we came down to just a, a small list and I ended up applying to uh, Columbia University in New York, uh, USC out in California, and I think UCLA. Um, I think UCLA, but I don't know why, honestly, I would, uh, <laughs> they don't really have like a producing program that would right. have been beneficial to me um, because I'm not a director. I'm not um, interested in directing at all. I really am interested in producing film and yep. writing as well. So yeah, I applied to schools and I had to, I had to tell my managers at work that I was applying to film school at the time um, because I needed references and I got some great references for them, but it puts you in this weird spot where you're like half in, half out <laughs> and they know it and, you know, they want to try and keep you, but they also don't want to keep you from what you want to do. So, right, right. 
Yeah. No, it was, it was good though. And everybody was very supportive of, um, my interests and, um, everybody kept checking in on me. Did you get in? Did you get in? And you're waiting to hear back yourself. So you're also still nervous. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to interrupt before because like I knew you had cancer and I knew like, yeah. you're going to tell that story. And to sort of go back to that, that convo when mm-hmm. that you had with Olivia, when it, it sounds to me and I'm just, I want to sort of figure out if I'm understanding this the right way, or like in a way that can be beneficial to others who might hear this, that it had yeah. been going to film school had been something that you had been looking into and you had had an interest in. And then really it came down to like a very significant health scare that sort of pushed you to say, or pushed your partner to say to you that if this is something you really want to do, you should look into this like now. And yeah. so one, am I correct in sort of my understanding of that? And two, if that's the case, was that one of those things where like, no one's going to live forever. So you might as well be happy with what you're doing day to day. Is that because that's how it sounds to me. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it really was Olivia pushing me and asking that question of, you know, if you're still in this job at Bell five years down the line, like, are you going to be happy? And like, I think I, you know, thinking about that at that moment, I, I kind of broke down crying. I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be, I, I really do want to do film. I really do want to do TV. And I think that was like a turning point for us. And she saw, you know, let's do this. Let's, and she's just been the most supportive this entire time. Like we've been long distance every time that I've been in New York and that's been incredibly hard. Um, it's, it's strange to push your partner to leave you and <laughs> to go to a different country to pursue something that, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, isn't really compatible with what you're interested in doing. Um, so, I mean, it's been hard for her as well. And I, I really was, her pushing me and that conversation that we had around, you know, how can we make sure that we don't regret this time of our lives later on? Mm-hmm. And that came down to, I think now's the time to take the leap and go to film school. If, if, if not now, then when? Yeah. Um, and my yeah. mom actually, my mom uh, has this saying, and she's always had this saying for us when she was applying to law school, she was, um, she was around the same age as me at the time. And she, she had talked to her mom or no, uh, a friend of hers or something. <laughs> I don't really remember. She had talked to somebody and they had said to her, you know, you're going to be 30 when you graduate, um, but you're going to be 30 whether or not you have a degree. Wouldn't you be happier to be a lawyer at 30 than not? And I'm going to be 30 when I graduate from this degree as well. Um, and I thought the exact same thing. Uh, those words kind of echoed for me. I, you know, I'm going to be 30, whether or not I have this producing experience and it was just better to make the time useful and do what I'm interested in. Yeah. That's great advice. Moms give the best advice, don't they? Yeah, (laughs) they do. They do. Uh, yeah. I'm glad your mom, uh, I hope your mom gets to hear this later and gets to, to <laughs> I'm hear, sure she I'm, will. although I'm sure you've told her before. So it's, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's true. All right. So Columbia law school or not law school. Sorry. I know somebody, <laughs> I interviewed somebody else who went to Columbia law school. So oh, yeah. I'm, uh, oh. yeah. Um, but Columbia, you go there for film school and yes. what has that been like then? Uh, obviously <laughs> this is something you've been 
you had this sort of interest in this type of stuff going way back to when you were like seven yeah. years old or eight years old. And, mm-hmm. and now all these years later, you've found something that it sounds like makes you very happy. So I imagine the yeah. fit, it, it's been a great fit. Yeah. It's been super interesting, honestly. I mean, as I said before, when I was younger, I would have never pictured myself in a big city and here I am in New York city yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, You're like, it was Toronto's definitely... not big enough. Let me go to New York. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let me just go bigger. I, it's pretty wild. But my time at New York uh, or in New York has been pretty wild. I started back in 2019 in like, I moved here in August and my dad and Olivia drove me down full, a van full of stuff. I lived in this tiny little closet of an apartment uh, on Columbia housing. And it's, it's kind of the story that you hear from everyone about what New York living is like. You're living in this tiny little box, but there's so much life and so much culture and experience there. Um, so when I started the film program, I was just excited to be immersed in this experience and surrounded by people who are interested in the exact same thing as me. There's just such a community that comes out of that. And the first year at Columbia is built to be a, uh, a smorgasbord of uh, film experience. So even as a producer, you're taking producing classes, but you're also taking directing classes. You're also taking writing classes and you get to see all sides of filmmaking, which Honestly, very similar to the Bell program where they sort of show you everything. Very similar to the business program where they show you everything and then you focus later. So there is this consistent uh, um, widening and then focusing that I've seen throughout all the different uh, areas of my life. And I'm really happy that I got to see and the directing side of stuff because I know that I'm not interested in that now. Um, it, I think if you didn't do that, it would always be a question. Of, right. Oh, maybe there's something in directing, but I absolutely do not enjoy directing. <laughs> and people are always shocked about that, to be honest, because I think there's a lot of producers in the program who are interested in directing, who are interested in being writers rather than direct or rather than producers. Um, I love writing and um, I have written a lot of stuff recently, but I really am a producer first and foremost. So um the program gives gave me a huge opportunity to just network and work with people and work on a ton of different exercises and directing exercises. And I got to produce a bunch of shorts. You really learn how the industry works. You learn how to film finance and pitch projects. And you get a sense of the scope of the industry in a way that you wouldn't even know to ask about beforehand. I, I think that's like the one benefit that film school has is sometimes you just don't even know the questions that you have to ask. Right. Um, you don't even know what you don't know. I uh, love so, that phrase. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's so many resources online for making, you know, becoming a director or learning how to write. There's tons of, there's a thousand books on screenwriting, but you don't know what you don't know. And these intimate writing classes of, you know, 10 people in a room where everybody's sharing their scripts and you're getting direct in-person feedback, you can't replicate that online. Um, this is, it becomes a community of people who are trying to like benefit one another. And that is something that has really been valuable. So, <laughs> you know, it's been an amazing experience. I met some great people, some great collaborators that I'll probably work with for the rest of my life. And 
then I was shooting a directing exercise in spring 2020. And then we get an email that we're all moving online for two weeks. You know, we're going for spring break early and then we'll be online for a week after that. So when I finished shooting this directing exercise, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to book a flight home early and go visit Olivia and spend some extra time. Uh, so I return all the equipment to the equipment center. I fly off the next, uh, like an hour later. And basically by that Friday, we're in a full blown pandemic. <laughs> so it's, it's this weird thing where you're doing all of these amazing things in person. I had gone to like nine Broadway shows or something like you're really living this New York life. And then everything shuts down and all of my stuff is in New York, except for a backpack. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that really, I mean, the pandemic really changed things for me as well. Just it's hard to do a film program in a pandemic. I feel really bad for the directors in the program who had to go through that experience because directing is the hardest part to do online. There's just no, there's no comparison for being in person, working with the uh, actors in person or working with a camera, um, they were stuck doing stuff over Zoom for a lot of the year, which is which is really challenging, to be honest. I was very lucky that I had finished all of my directing stuff by that point. And my second year, which we just ended, it was all online. I did all from Ontario, from Ottawa. And it was just producing. It was just writing. So there's a lot of that stuff you can just do online and there's not a huge gap in the experience of being in the classroom. Sure. There's like some interaction pieces or it's not as intimate maybe, but really when you're pitching, you're, you're talking, it's not necessarily about working with the visual. Um, you're still able to do a presentation through zoom and all that. Mm -hmm. um, right. Writers rooms were very similar. I'd say a little quieter on zoom. People are less hesitant to like unmute themselves and pop in. But really, if you have a good group of people, they're all willing to jump in and share and send email notes and all that. So um, I was very lucky in that my second year was pretty much undisrupted for the most part. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. But now, now you're working on this <laughs> big independent film project as part of your your program, right? So tell me all about yeah. that, because that was sort of the catalyst for why we got reconnected here and are talking yeah. About your whole career path. So I want to hear all about it. Yeah. So um, there are some keystone projects through the program that you have to produce in order to graduate. So, you know, there's what they call a three to five, which is a, a short film that you do over the winter of your uh, first year. There's a eight to 12, which is an eight to 12 minute long short in your second year. We kind of skipped that, to be honest, because of the COVID thing. Um, and then there's a second year cumulative project, which I just produced a couple of weeks ago. And then there's the thesis, and that's kind of the big cumulative film that you do. Um, you still want it to be under 15 minutes, uh, so but the scope gets a lot bigger. Most of the directing films are a little smaller, uh, intimate, like in apartments or on the streets of New York type thing. But the thesis film becomes a little bit of a bigger project and is meant to signify all the learning that you did during your time at the program. So last November, 
They started doing networking opportunities between directors who have thesis projects and producers who are looking to produce a thesis project. And I met with a bunch of directors who had great stories, great ideas, and I ended up finding one that I was really interested in. And that's this film called Elegy for a Glacier. Um, it's written and going to be directed by uh, Stephanie Falkeis, who is uh, a director in the program. She's in her fifth year right now. So the directing side of things are a bit longer. They can stay up to five years, whereas producers actually have to graduate in three. So you're typically working with people a year or two ahead of you. And we we vibed. I like the story. Uh, we had this great idea to shoot in Canada, um, this idea of this glacier. There's a great one out in Alberta. There's a bunch out in BC. And we submitted for grants together over the winter term. And uh, we were actually very lucky that we were given the Alfred P. Sloan grant, which is a science-based grant uh, supporting films that are scientifically accurate and present science in a way that's uh, strong for film. Um, so we were very excited about that. That definitely helped make this more real. And all of a sudden, we were able to start planning for this thing, for this film. And we've been working on it since, I mean, since November of last year, really. And unfortunately, COVID has made it hard <laughs> because we wanted to shoot in Canada and the Canadian borders are still questionable. Um, it only just recently opened up, which doesn't give us enough time to plan something for Canada. So this whole time we've been planning to shoot in America. Um, we had to find a glacier that could work for the film and we found one in Colorado. So I'll quickly give you a, a preview of what the film is. Sure. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That'll probably be helpful. Yeah. Um, so basically it's about a gl young glaciologist who is called back to her hometown in order to assess the local glacier. Uh, the town wants to turn it into a ski resort. So it's really about the night that she spends with her estranged mother, who's the local eco-activist trying to save the glacier at all costs. So it's really like a mother-daughter story, and it's set against the backdrop of this dying glacier. Um, there's themes of climate change, climate justice, economic struggles, that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's very much a drama at heart, um, but it, it raises a lot of um, societal questions about, you know, where are our priorities as well? So I was hooked on it pretty early and we needed a glacier though, because that's like the center of the film. <laughs> um, and there are a bunch up in Alaska, but that's Alaska and it's way more expensive to go to Alaska and there aren't film crews up in Alaska. And it's just so many more logistical challenges involved in shooting something up there. So the most accessible glacier in the continental US is in Colorado. Um, so we did a little scout out there back in June. We flew out, drove around to a bunch of different towns, visited this glacier twice. Um, we actually found out when we were there that it's not really a glacier anymore. It actually was classified as a, a semi-permanent snowfield like a number of years back. So it used to be a glacier. It's technically died. So it fits the story even better than what Don't, we yeah, originally you're planned. Not, you're not going to give back that grant money anymore, even if you're calling no, it a glacier. No, exactly, exactly. Well, they still brand it as a glacier. I don't know. It's like a okay. tourist thing. Right. Um, so, yeah. But we're planning on uh, shooting out there. Um, we're actually booking flights today. So we have been building this crew uh, of you know 
some people out in New York, but really we've been uh, pulling on crew in Colorado for this thing and trying to find filmmakers who we can work with out there. It's been a really interesting process because like this entire time for all my films, we've been working with Columbia folks out in New York, um, people that we trust, people that we know. Yeah. And it's a lot different shooting something in a different state that you, you really don't know that well. Um, you don't necessarily know the people all that well, and you're really relying on this virtual connection um, to support the filmmaking. And it's been really interesting trying to do that. Um, yeah. I think it's really, I think it's really coming together. And I mean, it better be, we're filming in about three weeks. <laughs> so it's uh we're in the end game now really yeah okay and now to get you over the the final hump though to make this film a reality i know that you need you need some support from people who want to see this film made so tell me all about that how can people get involved in helping this happen yeah so we uh about a week ago we launched a seed and spark campaign which uh seed and spark is it's a crowdfunding website, very similar to Kickstarter. Kickstarter is one that most people would know, but it's more for products and other things like tangibles. So Seed and Spark is a crowdfunding source just for film. And we decided to launch through them because of that focus. And we created this campaign that we want to raise $10,000 uh, to support the, the financing of the film. That's what our budget gap looks like right now. Um, and... We ideally will hit that 10,000 um, at the start of our production and we'll be all good. Yeah, we're really excited about making this movie and we think that it's something that everybody will enjoy. You know, it has some great themes and struggles that I think are really going to connect with audiences. So, yeah, we have, we've already raised 67% of our goal and we're already just a week in. Oh, so perfect. I'm very, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Honestly, it's been um uh, amazing to see how many people have come out to support the film so far and uh, people from all walks of life like every stage that we've just talked about of my career journey there are people from those steps who have been contributing who have been reaching out throughout this um it's really amazing to see uh you know who is supportive and um you know whether it's just people sharing it or uh sending a message of support and saying you know this looks amazing that's been so great for me yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I'm really glad to hear that you're getting that kind of support for something like this because I am a person who loves stories. So I like to see that stories can be told. And of course, the the better the director, writer, producer, the better that story will come out on the other end. So I'm definitely going to go take a look and, and try and support this uh, once we hang up today. And on that note, I will add the link to the Seed and Spark yeah. uh, website for this that'd be great to the show notes so if anyone's listening to this and wants to support the film go to careercrosswordspodcast.com check out the show notes for nick's episode and it'll be titled nicholas though because we were talking about <laughs> branding in advance and we're gonna it, nicholas's episode will be titled nicholas and then something yeah. after that i haven't decided yet um but yeah. It shouldn't be too hard to find, and you can go and support this project and hopefully get them fully funded before they get into production. So, Nick. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, we have, if you're on Seed and Spark, you can search for Elegy for a Glacier. Um, we're also on Instagram at Elegy for a Glacier. Perfect. Um, so, those are easy ways to find us as well and find the campaign. Yeah, great. And all those things will be in the show notes too. Nick, one last question for you then. 
Once yeah. this is done, once you graduate, what do you think's mm-hmm. next? So I've been struggling with that a little bit. It's <laughs> like that I think, Christmas before you graduate. Yeah, you exactly. Me, what are you going to do next? So, I mean, I came into the program thinking I was going to go into development, um, similar to how I had chatted with you know, Tom Hastings and he had done development for Bell Media. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And I'm using this degree to, to develop that skill experience and go do that. Um, but lately, I think through COVID, I realized how important it is to be home in Canada and, you know, with my family and my partner. And up until this point, I think I really wanted to go to LA and do the agency route, work in development over at a studio and and work my way up there. But I am currently starting to think how I can make Canada work as a producer. And I'm currently looking towards uh, producing my first feature film as well. So that's kind of the focus at the moment and spending the next year that I have my thesis uh, year trying to figure out what that next step looks like. How do I work towards a first feature? How do I make a independent producing career work in Canada? Um, So that's where my mind is right now. That being said, who knows what this year holds for itself. And, you know, as COVID changes, disappears, gets worse, things could change as well. So I'm, I'm remaining a little bit flexible, but um, I'm currently looking into how Canada uh, could work for me as a career. All right. Well, Nick, thanks for sharing your whole journey with us today. And I (laughs) hope that, uh, I hope that we're going to see a lot of successful films come out because of you in the future. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. This is uh, it's fun to always go through your uh, history and talk about what got you to today. And it is crazy how it all kind of climbs up on one another and uh, leads you down the road. All right. That is Nick's career path so far. From a kid who wanted to get into film to a career in business and all the way back to getting into film. In a minute, we're going to talk about what we can learn from Nick's career path, but since he is working towards a career in film, here is a fun little story for you. When I was 10 years old, I actually did background acting in Toronto. So did my sister. My grandmother signed us up for it, and we both did a few Disney Channel movies. She also did a much larger movie, Death to Smoochie. She's one of the figure skating rhinos in that movie, and if you haven't seen it, that won't make any sense. It's a very strange movie, but... I also did a TV show for a week on YTV, a Canadian TV show where I was a body double for someone who years later turned out to be Michael Cera. And at the time, I had no idea who he was. Uh, And years later, I hadn't seen Arrested Development, but the trailer for Superbad was on TV one day. And I was like, I know that guy. I was him in a show one time. So yeah, fun fact about my life. Uh, The only thing I can really say about that experience is that it was pretty awesome when I was 10 to get paid to miss school, and I got to buy a lot of Lego with the money I made from that experience. So fun times, but let's move on to Nick because that is what we are here to talk about today. Nick is very obviously a storyteller. It's pretty obvious, but he didn't always know what his own story was going to be. As he said, it was only when he had to start pitching to other students why they should pick Laurier for university did he start to really reflect on what he wanted and what his path should really be. And even then, he didn't go after that dream right away. He didn't go into film right away. 
Part of that is the reality of what kind of practical career steps could he take at that time. So he started working at Bell because he thought that would be a good way to get into an area of interest of his, try to get on sets. And in his time at Bell, he didn't just let things happen. He advocated for what he wanted. And I think more importantly, Nick surrounded himself with friends, mentors, and partners who cared about him enough to help guide his career. Think about how many people Nick talked about as being influential in his career during this interview. Drew, Scott, Rehan, Io, Jonah, Tom, Corey, Kim, Sean, Gio, Olivia, his partner, and Stephanie. That is 12 different people that Nick talked about without even mentioning his parents, who he did mention as well. Nick gave by far the most shoutouts of anyone I've interviewed, and for a good reason. Each of those people had enough of an influence on him that he can genuinely think of one or multiple times where something they told him or showed him or asked him impacted the choices that he made in his career. So my advice is to be like Nick and surround yourself with people who care about you. Talk to them about what you want. Talk to them about both the practical and the impractical, the easy and the hard career choices. They will help you where they can and give you advice when they can't, or like Olivia did with Nick, They will help you make tough choices that will lead you to being happier in the long run. That's what I think we can learn from Nick today. I want to remind you to help support Elegy for a Glacier if you love storytelling as much as I do. As of the day this episode comes out, they are 73% funded with 21 days left in the campaign. So check out the link in the show notes to go help support this project and make Nick's thesis come to reality. That's all for this week's episode of Career Crossroads. And if you know someone who would be interested in Nick's career path, please share this episode with them. If you want to hear more interviews like this, go to careercrossroadspodcast.com or follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast player out there. If you like what you hear, please leave the show a five-star review and come back next week for the special one-year anniversary episode of Career Crossroads.